You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. You guys must come in every Sunday and think, these people have a feast day for everything, which is true. And why wouldn't you with the kind of story that we have? Like there's so much to celebrate, it's so good. Well, today is a special feast day and it's actually, um, there's theology in everything, right? But today is one of the few feast days where we celebrate a doctrine of sorts. That's not, I mean, it is a doctrine, but when we peer into who God is, we don't see a doctrine. We see the mystery of his love for us revealed to us in like a triune way. And so the church celebrates this this morning. So if we start going like theological on you, can I just give you permission to nerd out a little bit? Because Christians are theologians. It's not if you're a theologian or not. Christians are, actually even non-Christians are theologians. Everybody is a theologian. It's just a matter of you're doing it well or not. Well, today we're gonna do it well. And you have permission to totally nerd out with me and that's, we're not gonna go too deep, but just don't let me lose you too easily, okay? Hang in there. Last week, we have just come out of Pentecost, if you remember, and even before that, the ascension, and even before that, the resurrection. And now we find ourselves this week, it feels like, I mean, I don't know how y'all feel, but it feels like all of this like Eastertide and resurrection and ascension and Pentecost is like a tornado And then Trinity Sunday is like you've been spit out of the tornado. You find yourself lying in a field somewhere, standing up, dusting yourself off, going, what just happened? And how do I make sense of what just happened? We're kind of just getting our feet underneath us on Trinity Sunday. And, you know, it was probably like this for the early Christian community. If you think about everything they experienced, what just happened? Pentecost, for instance. What was that about? How do we make sense of everything we've experienced about who God has revealed himself to be in our lives? How do we make sense of all this? All things that God's created. How do we we make sense of Jesus? How do we make sense of him? Who is he? We know who he is. How do we make sense of the spirit that's come out of heaven and lit us on fire? Aren't we monotheists? But Jesus is the Son of God and the Spirit is the Spirit of God and yet the Father who we cry out Abba Father to is God himself, the Creator. Three gods? No, one God. With two created manifestations of himself? No, actually. Looking at one God from multiple angles like the the blind man with the elephant thing? No, not exactly. God existing in different ways at different times for different purposes? No, certainly not. By the way, those are all heresies. We've dealt with all that. Let's move on. That's not it. Well, then what is it? And and hold on a second, Sean. Why does this even matter? Is this just like theology for theology's sake? Or do we want to feel better? Do you know, feel smarter? Isn't this just the stuff for nerds? Sure, and we're nerds, and that's okay. You can be a nerd. It's all good. And we actually, it's, it's even worshipful for us to wonder about who God is and try and make sense of him. It's actually what it means to be a Christian is to wonder about the mystery of God and do theology, not only in our heads and in our hearts, but with our lives, like living 
theology, living what we believe. And here's the secret about Trinity Sunday. When we begin to pull back the curtain and peer into the mystery of who God is, we find some really startling news. We peer in and we see just how wonderful it is. Just how amazing, just how deep, just how wide God's love for us is. You know you're seeing the Trinity right when you see this frightening view of how much God loves you. All the love, all the goodness, all the joy, all the justice we long for, all the beauty we hope for, we find when we peer into the mystery of God, we find all of those things hidden in himself. This is the source where this stuff comes from. All of our healed desires, all of our hopes set right. Think about that. What do you desire for and hope for? All of those things, they ultimately find their fulfillment in him, their source in him. We, we realize our hunt for wholeness, our hunt for healing, our hunt for meaning and purpose, it's in God. We find all of these things in him. Well, who is he? Who is this God that we say, it's all there in him? Who is he? You can see why this question about who is God, explain the nature of God, why this isn't just some theological exercise, but this has everything to do with who we are and how we live our lives. Who is God? We begin to see this is such an important question. Something I want to point out to us, some of us, even in this room today, have bad theology. We have like bad views of who God is. And when we have a bad view of God, we might think, well, that's you be you, Sean, I'll be me. We'll just like go on. No, it didn't work like that. Because if we have a bad view of God, ultimately we believe in a God that doesn't exist if it's untrue. If there's something in our view of him that's not true, we might as well be an atheist because like that God does not exist. So who is the God that exists? Who's truly there and living and holy? That's what I want to look at in our passages this morning. So let's, let's, uh, let's dive in, right? In Isaiah, he has this incredible experience, this encounter with God. In Isaiah, he says this in verse one, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hems of his robe filled the temple. He goes on to describe these heavenly creatures that, if you can picture this, were surrounding him. If you guys think we're weird because we wear robes, like check out what the Bible says, right? There's creatures in his presence with wings, like three sets of wings covering their face, their feet, and the other set was like keeping them hovering, flying, saying to each other something about God. That for us should be like really familiar. Like, oh yeah, I know this. Verse three, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And when they said this, y'all recognize that by the way? We say this in the liturgy when we come to the table. It's as if we're like in the temple with God enthroned and lofty seated on high and we are those angelic hosts coming close into his presence with nothing else to say other than three times, holy. And when the angels, these creatures said this, the whole place shook and the whole place was filled with smoke. Y'all know why I love incense so much, right? You begin to see, like, whoa, Christians are like, not so crazy. This is like the reality of the presence of God. How curious. You can see how this vision, even in scripture, shapes the most fundamental imagination of Christians. 
when they picture the presence of God. This is the world, friends. By the way, Isaiah's vision and even what we come and celebrate today. This is the world, not of fantasy or like religious escapism or like, oh, those like super high church pious people. No, no, no. Can we just put all that aside for a second? Let me make a really bold claim. This is the world we actually live in where God is holy and seated on high and all of heaven and earth come into his presence and say, holy, holy, holy. And his voice shakes the earth. And the place is filled with smoke, with the mystery of who he is. This is like reality. If we think that's crazy, we're living in like another alternative reality that's probably not so true. It's like, I think that's called delusion. But this is what Christians believe, that God is present and that he's holy and that heaven and earth praise him. And here in this like really strange picture, this vision, we find something about who God is, a clue. He is holy and we live in his world. We live in his reality, not the other way around. The whole earth is full of his glory. This is really true. It's not escapism, like for spiritual, private people. That's not actually how this works. But an understanding who God is helps us understand the real world that we actually live in, a world that is not um, just like, uh, nominalist, you might say, where it's just like, it is what you see it is. It's just flesh. It's just people. It's not, there's nothing more beyond this. It's detached from like spiritual meaning. No, in this world that we live in, God is present. As Gerard Manley Hopkins, one of my favorite poet says, and I know some of you know I was going to go there. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. That's the world we actually live in a world filled by the presence of a holy God. And by contrast, when, like Isaiah, when he notices the presence that he's in of this holy God, he, by contrast, realizes who he is. He's overcome by a sense of guilt and uncleanness being in the presence of this three times holy God. And by the way, whenever you see something three times like this, this is like a superlative for Hebrew language. Like supreme, ultimate, most holy. This is who God is. He is most holy and we live in his world. The gospel reading in John records a secret meeting at night under the cover of darkness between a leading and very prominent rabbi, Nicodemus, and Jesus, this like questionable, pretty scandalous rabbi in the evening and he comes to Jesus and say, he says, look, we know you are of God. You're from God. The rabbi says, because look, no one can do the things you're doing unless it's God. Jesus tells him that he's got to be born of the spirit to enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus looks at him. We can picture this like, what are you talking about? The Jewish imagination, it knew God was holy. It knew that we live in God's world. It even knew that God is spirit. But how are humans supposed to be born from above? What does that even mean? So Jesus goes on. He tells a little bit more. He reveals a little bit more. Chapter 3, verse 12. I've told you about earthly things you don't believe. How can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has, listen to this, verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. 
Who is this? Who is this that has such unity with God that he ascends into heaven and descends from heaven all the while in the flesh? Who is this? The authority of Jesus has come from the fact that he is one with the Father. And this creates like a bit of a mess in terms of theology. How do you, what do we do with that? Jesus is human and yet one with the Father. We see in John 17, Jesus praying that we would be one as he and the Father are one. His home is in heaven, though he has taken on the flesh of humanity. He died on the cross, rose from the grave, and ascends back to the Father. Who is this guy? And like we saw last week at Pentecost, he sends his own spirit, the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of God, he sends to his friends. And because he does, we are able to, like him, call out to God saying, in the most intimate of terms, Abba, Father. How is this? Because hidden in his most holy nature, the most holy nature of God, we find that he reveals himself and has come to us. Not as a God that's just to be observed, like intellectually or spiritually, however, but as a God that we only know of him because he has come to us. He has revealed himself to us in the world. God the Father created all things. And we live in his world. This is a holy God. God the Son took on humanity, took on our flesh to redeem our flesh, to redeem humanity. God the Holy Spirit who gives life, breathes a new identity into us, pushing out those competing identities of who we think we are. That spirit of death has been blown out by the Pentecost spirit of God. He has adopted us even as children into his family. And yet... Not three gods, one God. God is one in being and revealed in three persons. How do we explain that? What a mystery. God is Trinity. This is where Christians get it. Three in one. But the great mystery of all of this isn't the theological gymnastics that we need to do to like actually wrap our brains around that. If you really want to understand the great mystery of the Trinity, you have to gaze into it knowing that at the heart of who God is, he is and has a burning love for us. If you think about it, every aspect of the Trinity has been a participant in this great rescue of God's creation and his children to himself. Sending himself and his son, empowering us with his spirit, bringing us to new life. Everything about who God is, is about love that he has for us. We can't help but when we look into this mystery of the Trinity that we see this story unraveling about this great rescue that God has sent to us to bring us back to himself. He desires to be with us. He has left no expense, unspent, to come and find you and bring himself, bring yourself to him. He wants to be with us. If you want to understand the Trinity, you just have to understand that God loves you and he has come to reconcile all things to himself. And he has spent everything in himself to do that, to accomplish this. How deep, how wide 
How amazing, how frightening is the love of God for us? I know some of us may hear this and think like Nicodemus, how can this be? What a mystery. How can this be, we might ask. How is it that this is even plausible? What kind of world do we live in where this is a possibility? There's one really simple answer to this. Love. This is the world that we live in. The world of God's love for us. Not love as just like an idea or love as like this romantic image or love as just like a sentimental kind of warming feeling, but the person of love himself who has revealed himself to us in three persons. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we say love, we're talking about a person. We're talking about our God and the story of his rescue of us. This is the context, friends, that we can actually begin to read John 3.16 most, most truthfully, most appropriately. And let me read this for us. For God so loved the world, his inner motivations, the things that like drove him, his love for the world, because of it, he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The mystery of who God is is ultimately wrapped up in this story of his love for us. And so we're left here wondering, so how do we respond to this incredible love, this mysterious love of God that he's revealed in himself to us? We respond By believing, even if we don't understand in all of its entirety, we turn in faith and say, we receive this. We believe that we are loved by a triune God who's come to save us. Church, Trinity Sunday, this Trinity Sunday, may we know the love of God, not as just an idea, but as this gift of himself to us. May we know that God loves us. May we come to the table this this morning and even taste and see just how amazing this love of God is for us. If you have any doubts about who you are, what your life is for, if you have any needs this morning, needing to be scooped up and reconciled into some safe, whole place, what you're looking for is the presence of God. And there's such great news because God has gone to such an expense, such an extent, an amazing story throughout history, long before you even showed up on this planet, to say to you, I love you. Come be with me. I want to be with you. And to prove it, I'm going to send my son. And to continue to remind you, faithful Christians, my son is going to continue to be present to you. You're going to feed on him that you would never forget the great love of our triune God. This morning, let's come to the table not just thinking about God as Trinity or God's love, but receiving and consuming his love and thereby being consumed by it this morning. Amen. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.